Today's reading is from Galatians chapter 5, 2 through 12. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, God will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. What hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and that the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. This is the word of the Lord. So it is commonly known as one of the most iconic scenes in movie history. It is epic. It is powerful. It is moving. It is Mel Gibson dressed in a kilt on a horse with a big sword on his back in blue war paint. Maybe you've, you've seen this movie, Braveheart, and in this scene, he's pacing back and forth in front of the armies of Scotland, and he gives this rousing speech. I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. I'm not going to do this with a Scottish accent, because mine would be almost as bad as Mel Gibson's. You have come to fight as free men, and free men you are. What would you do with that freedom? Will you fight? Fight and you may die. Run and you'll live at least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that one for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. There's something in us that just loves these rousing speeches of freedom. We love stories of freedom. So whether it be the Revolutionary War and George Washington, or maybe it's freeing the slaves in the Civil War and and Abraham Lincoln, or, or maybe the global fight for freedom during World War II. Hey, we even loved it when Will Smith defended us from aliens in Independence Day. We love freedom. And this is not just an American thing. This is a human thing. The idea of being set free from tyranny and bondage and injustice and oppression. A few things rouse us more quickly and more passionately than a call to freedom. And in the opening verses of Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul makes this rousing speech to the church to defend its freedom. So last week, we reflected on the idea of what kind of community do we want to be? A community that walks in freedom or a community enslaved to performance in sin? And this morning, I want God's word to rouse us to freedom and rouse us to guard freedom. Look, the Apostle Paul might not be on a horse with a sword and blue war paints, but he is making a determined, passionate call to God's people to stand in your freedom and defend your freedom, this freedom that we have been given in Jesus Christ. It is precious. 
It is greater than any political freedom we could ever experience. It is life-giving. It is soul-satisfying. It is joy-producing. It is spirit-empowered. And it is worth defending. And that's what I want us to reflect on this morning, is what does it mean to guard our freedom? How do we guard our freedom? So let's turn to Galatians 5 and see what Paul calls us to concerning our freedom and how to guard it. So the first thing that we see in Galatians 5 right out of the beginning is that we guard our freedom by celebrating freedom. In verse 1, Paul writes this, For freedom Christ has set us free. This isn't just a statement of fact. He isn't just saying, hey, Christ sets you free. This is a declaration. This is a celebration. Paul is fired up because in the entire book of Galatians, the argument, the momentum of this letter he's been writing has been moving towards this point. This is the climax. This is the crescendo. All this talk about the gospel and performance points you to this one truth. Christ has set you free. And he is celebrating this. He is He is worshiping. He is excited about what Christ has done. And we guard this freedom when we celebrate freedom. Because the things that we celebrate, we cherish. And the things that we cherish, we will protect. Is freedom precious to you? Is the freedom that Christ has given you and has won for you precious to you? Because it is worth celebrating. This freedom is no small thing. And sometimes if our heart grows cold to it, if it becomes religious cliche, if it just becomes one of those things that, yeah, 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 Christ set me free, although we miss out on the blessing and the power of the liberation that Christ purchased for us. And if our hearts have grown cold to this freedom, we're never going to guard it. We're never going to celebrate it. We're never going to guard it. It's never going to be the thing that we take care of and mind and pay attention to. And so let's just take a moment and stop and and reflect on this truth. Christ has set you free. If you are in Jesus Christ, Christ has set you free. You're no longer enslaved. And and so I don't want us to miss this. And so I I think I want to sort of give a vivid illustration of this. I know I'm I'm, I'm working on my illustration somewhat here, but, but just to kind of picture this for a moment. I've, I've recruited my friend Steve to come out and help me with this. And poor Steve, you see, he, um, he upset me this week, and so that's how he found himself in this bind. But here, this is you and me in and of ourselves. In and of ourselves, we are born into bondage. And the book of Galatians and other parts of Scripture talk about the kinds of bondage that you and I experience in and of ourselves. The first thing is that we are enslaved to this present evil age, meaning that this world is broken. There is suffering, there is injustice, there is conflict, there is oppression. And many of you, you wear the scars of that. You have been wounded, you've been hurt, you've been abused, you've been sinned against. And look, we're also, we're the victims of both sinful people and oppressive systems. And for all our politics, all our technology, all our uh, abilities to fix the problem, we can't. We're no less bound to conflict and injustice and oppression. No matter what enlightenment philosophy wanted to tell us that we're moving towards progress, turn on your TV, get on social media, get on the internet. Are we any more free of this present present evil age? No, we're enslaved, we're bound. But it's not just that we're victims ourselves, we're part of the problem. We, We are enslaved to sin, as the book of Galatians tells us. We are prone to lust and greed and idolatry 
and deceit. We, we've been abusers and addicts. We have used people. We've manipulated people. We, our hearts are full of selfishness and pride. And again, for all our self-help, for all our wisdom, for, for all our best attempts at discipline, we're no more free of sin in our own efforts than we've ever been. No matter how hard we try, we're bound. And it sometimes seems the harder we try, the more we're bound. We're enslaved to our sin. But we're also enslaved and we're imprisoned by the law. You see, God is holy. He is good. He is just. And he sets out for us a standard of what it means to live, what it means to walk in goodness and righteousness. But because we are enslaved to sin, and because the standard is perfection, because God is perfect, we fail. We can't keep it. We're unable to save ourselves through our own performance. No matter how much effort, no matter how religious we are, no matter how many times we try to be good, what ends up happening is the law says this, guilty, guilty, guilty. And then because we're guilty, we stand under the curse of judgment. The law pronounces curse. It doesn't say, hey, you're righteous. It says, no, you're guilty. You deserve judgment. And we're bound by that. We can't escape that on our own. It enslaves us. This judgment, this verdict hangs over us and we're enslaved by it. But what the book of Galatians also tells us is this. We're enslaved to elementary principles, to, to, to things that are not God's. And this is what that means. Even those of you that aren't religious, you're still enslaved to this human impulse to try to perform. And so maybe your effort isn't towards religious performance, but guess what? You're enslaved to the false gods of success and approval and wealth and status. And so you will give and you will give and you will do and you will do in order to satisfy those gods in order so that they will bless you. But you will never be able to do enough. You will never be able to serve them enough because you'll never get enough, never get enough success. You'll never be secure in the identity you're trying to make. You'll never get enough approval. And so you do and you do and you do, but there's no freedom. You're enslaved. And the bondage in our souls weighs heavy on us. And maybe this morning you're here and you don't, you're not necessarily aware of it, but it's there. The spiritual bondage that we're born into, it binds us. It is heavy on us. And it makes us the victims of the evil in our world. And we cannot help but sin. And so we're stuck. We're, we're, we're unable to get free. And the trouble with too often our mentality in this is rather than saying, I'm helpless, rather than acknowledging that, hey, I'm stuck, I'm tied up, I'm bound, we just try harder. We dig our heels in and do more and do more and do more. But here's the good news of the gospel. This is what we celebrate. This is, this is what is held out for us, that Jesus has set us free. If you are in Christ, if you turn from your performance, if you turn from your sin, here's the, the great news for us. Jesus delivers us from our bondage. So this present evil age on the cross, Jesus took evil's best shot. He, he was strung up and he said, give it your best. And guess what? They failed. 
for all their raging, for all their wickedness, for all their oppression, Jesus dismantled, and as the book of Colossians says, disarmed the rulers and powers and authority, both physical and spiritual. And so the good news for us is that no matter how, no matter how badly you've been wounded, no matter how much sin, the sin of other people has scarred you and harmed you and hurt you, that's not the final word. That Jesus brings freedom and he brings healing to you in that. He defeated all evil. And one day he's returning to set the entire universe free. We are free in Christ. He has won a great victory for us. And when we realize that, our bonds begin to loosen. Not only has he set us free from the evil around us, he set us free from the evil within us. On the cross, Jesus paid for your sin. The debt that you owe, the judgment that you were under, Jesus took that on himself. All of the righteous wrath of God that you and I deserve, Jesus took. And it doesn't matter who you've been. It doesn't matter the sin that you have done. It doesn't matter how dark and deranged you have been or you are. The blood of Christ will cleanse you and set you free. If you are in Christ, that is who you are. Jesus sets you free from your sin. And here's the good news. Not only has the penalty been paid, the power of sin has been broken. You're no longer its slave. It's no longer your master. You have the Holy Spirit of God. And so you can walk in righteousness, in truth, in freedom. Jesus sets you free from sin. Sets your chains loose. You're no longer in bondage. And the elementary principles of this world, that human impulse that says perform, 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 that you have to earn your own identity, that you have to get, pour out your life to the gods of success and approval and wealth. Oh, Jesus defeated them. In Christ, here's your identity. Son, daughter of God, heir of God. You don't have to earn that performance. You don't have to bow down to the false gods of success and approval because you have approval from God. You're loved, you're accepted. So Jesus sets you free from having to run through the hamster wheel of performance. And those false gods can no longer tell you and control you. You're free. The beautiful truth of the gospel is we were once bound, but Jesus comes in and he says, let my people go. He says, no longer captive, no longer slave, no longer bound, but you're free. And the chains, the bondage, the ropes, everything that used to hold us, gone. Jesus buried it in his grave and he left it there when he was resurrected. This is the freedom we have, church. This is who we are, church. Have you forgotten that? If you're in Christ, let me just say, lift your eyes to what Jesus did because he loves you. He has set you free. Let us celebrate that. It's a great freedom he's won for us. He's a greater liberator than William Wallace or George Washington or Abe Lincoln or Will Smith. No political system, no religious system, no cultural system can bind you when Jesus has set you free. And why has he set us free? What does verse one say? For freedom. Jesus sets you free so you can walk in freedom. So you can walk in the freedom of forgiveness. So you can walk in the freedom of not having to perform. So you can walk in the freedom of loving other people. Walk in the freedom of peace and no longer having to be bound by fear and anxiety. Oh, Jesus has set you free in church. Listen, listen. Yes, we will fight sin 
for the rest of our lives. Sometimes change is slow. Sometimes it is painful. But sometimes we live as if we are not free people. Sometimes we live as if Jesus is not resurrected and he hasn't poured out his spirit on us. Yes, church, let's be honest about the struggle. But let us fix our eyes on the freedom we have in Christ, that Jesus is the resurrected reigning king, that you are free. And let us live as free people. Let us celebrate. Even in the midst of trial, celebrate we're free. That Jesus has set us free and he's coming to set us free. Oh, church, this is worth celebrating. This is worth rejoicing in. This is our hope. And if we're going to guard our freedom, we need to be people who celebrate our freedom. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> so move, after celebrating, the Apostle Paul then says this, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You've been set free, why go back? You've been set free. Why would you submit yourself to the things that used to bind you? And so he then moves on by exhorting the church to stand in this freedom. He begins to direct them in ways that if you want to stand in this freedom, there are important things, important ways to walk. And the first thing that we see here is we stand in freedom by standing in grace. This is what Paul writes in verses two through four. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. So we guard our freedom by standing in grace and by refusing to ever move on from grace. Paul, once again, as he has done in the book of Galatians over and over, makes clear, look, if you want to live by performance, if you want to live by your religious performance, look, the standard is perfection. You've got to keep the law perfectly, but you can't because you're sinful. There is no way to be righteous through your religious performance, but if you want to do that, you're moving away from grace. You're moving away from Christ. And here's, here's the implication of what Paul is saying. You can't. You need the grace of God. You need the grace of Christ. Walking away from the grace of Christ is a dumb move. It's the wrong move. When we walk away from the grace of Christ, when we walk away from the grace of God, here, here's sort of what we're saying. Hey, thanks for the grace, God, but I got it from here. Like, like I needed some help over here, but now I'm good, and I don't need your grace anymore. Why would we ever do that? God does not say that. God doesn't say, okay, I gave you some grace here, but now you got to do it on your own. Now you got to put forth your effort and, and your own performance. Everything's up to you now. No, that is not how God treats us. That is not how God sees us. And so when we think that maybe God saves us, but then now it's up to us for us, for, for God to like us through our performance, we miss out on the fact that it is all of grace and it will continue to be grace until Jesus returns or calls us home. Grace has led me safely thus far and grace will lead me home as, this, as the, the great hymn goes. Why would we move from grace? So whether it be religious performance or maybe it looks like this for you, it, it, it may not necessarily be like a lot of religious performance, 
but you shrink the Christian life, meaning that you live in such a safe and controlled way that you think, well, if I, if I just do these things, if, I'm, if I just perform in a particular way and I'm good in these ways, then, then that's enough. But, but the life that Jesus calls you to is this radical transformation. It's this radical faith in giving up of yourself and dying to yourself and living for the glory of God and the good of others. It's this incredible life that is full and big and robust. It's not small. It's not something that we can control and manage just by behaving in a few particular ways. But when we do that, what we're doing is we're sin managing. And and, and we're, we're, we're sort of saying that Christianity is only this big. Look, to live the full, robust Christian life that God calls you to, it requires the Holy Spirit. It requires the grace of God. You need God. And so when we try to live by our performance, we shrink life. We shrink what God has for us. We shrink the purposes of God and how, just how free you are and what that freedom will lead you to. Another way, maybe you don't live by religious performance, but again, the performance to, to earn success and wealth and achievement and relationships, the same principles apply. You're seeking identity and favor and blessing, even a sense of rightness through your own performance. But you gotta be perfect. You gotta keep it up. If you want approval, you can't let people down. If you want success, you gotta keep working harder and harder and harder because success today is not success tomorrow. And so our performance, 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 and we move away from the grace of God, the identity we have in Christ, that we are loved and accepted through Jesus and not because of our performance. So no matter how you slice this, when we move away from grace, Oh, we miss out on the freedom that God intends for us. But the grace of God points to a better way. Like when we see we can't perform enough, when we recognize our sin and our pride, we run to the grace of God. We run to the freedom that he has for us. We run to Jesus who perfectly performed in our place. We run to Jesus who gives us his righteousness. We rest in the grace of God when we fail knowing that we're loved and we're forgiven and the power of God is at work in us. We stand in that grace. We stand in the acceptance. We stand in the identity as son and daughter. We stand in the blessing and the favor that we have. We trust in grace to change us. We trust that his power is at work in our lives and we remain humble knowing we will need grace all throughout our lives. So church, when we stand in grace when we refuse to go into performance, that's how we guard our freedom. Let us champion and celebrate and live and walk and stand in the grace of God to us and not submit ourselves to a yoke of slavery. We guard freedom by standing in grace, but we also guard freedom by standing in faith. As Paul continues in verses five and six, for through the spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So rather than seeking righteousness, identity, and favor, and blessing through our performance, we take hold of those things by faith. We take hold of them as a gift. We see that Jesus accomplished those things for us, and he gives us those things when we trust in him by faith. 
We talked about this last week. Rather than trying to take matters into our own hands, rather than running to the, to, to the next strategy, rather, rather than trying to find a way to speed up our growth, we put our faith in the hope of righteousness, the truth that God has made us righteous in Christ and that he is transforming us and one day he's going to complete that work. The change that you want, the change that you long for, Christ has accomplished that. The, 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 the transformation and the healing and the restoration that we long for, look, it's promised, it is coming. God is working that in you and he will complete it. And so when we stand in faith, we take hold of what we have in Jesus and what is to come. And no matter how messy and hard and painful, we take hold of the promises by faith because we know God is faithful. We know he keeps his promises. And we know that we do not have to take matters into our own hands because God is at work and that sets us free. And here's the wonderful freedom that we experience in that. When we live by faith, when we trust in the work of God in our life, we put our hope in the hope of righteousness. It takes our eyes off ourselves. We stop obsessing over and and angstily striving and putting forth effort in trying to fix our own pain and overcome our own struggles and just getting through the tasks of life and with our own success and our own status and our own identity and our own security and our own comfort. Too often we're self-obsessed with these things. They, they, They feel like, man, I have to fix these problems or I have to run after success and change. But the good news of the gospel is this. When we live by faith, what happens? We're set free to walk in love. And when we're set free to walk in love, we take our eyes off ourselves. We stop obsessing over everything that's broken in us and all the problems around us. We trust in the Lord and say, Lord, I know you're going to carry me. I know you're going to be with me. And I don't have to obsess. Rather, I can love my brother and sister. I, I, can, I can love my kids. I can love my spouse. I can serve, I can share the gospel with my neighbor. Like when we have been set free by faith and that faith is working in love, oh, it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful freedom that we walk in and we're empowered to live for something bigger than ourselves, something bigger than just even our own problems. I'm not saying ignore your problem. I'm I'm not saying that the Lord is calling you, not calling you to engage your issues but that doesn't have to be the center. That, you don't have to be bound to that problem. You don't have to be obsessed with that problem. You don't have to let your world center around that problem because by faith, you have the hope of righteousness and that sets you free. Finally, we guard freedom by standing in truth. In verses seven through 12, Paul writes this. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who would unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Strong words that the apostle Paul is saying here. And what he says is the Galatian Christians, you were running so well, you had faith in Christ. You were trusting in Jesus. You weren't living by your performance. And then someone comes along and hinders you. In the Greek, this word literally means tripped up, stumbling block. 
So the, the image here of Paul, that Paul has is of someone running a race and then someone coming and tripping up that person running. Someone gets in the way and trips you and causes you to fall. And he's saying, who tripped you? Who, who has caused you to stumble in such a way that now you're tempted to live by your performance? This notion of righteousness through living through the law and, and receiving blessing and favor through performance, Paul points out, this is not from the one who called you. This is not from God. That is not the truth of the gospel. And listen, there are many, many, many messages that we hear both inside the church and outside the church that are performance-driven. There are messages in our culture. There are messages from Christians. They sound so inspiring. They celebrate hard work and virtuous action. They're stories of overcoming hardship and pain and failure. And look, in no way do we want to minimize the grace of God and, and the common grace of God. Like, because we are made in the image of God, we, we, we can accomplish a lot of great things. But those messages begin to seep in, and they begin to trip us up. They begin to get us to take our eyes off of what Christ has done, eyes off of the gospel and his power in our lives, and start putting our eyes on our own performance. Because no matter how great those stories are, no matter how inspiring those messages may seem, here's the problem. One, human limitation. That no matter how successful we are for all of our achievement and the human race, we have not stopped sin, we have not stopped suffering, we have not stopped conflict, we have not stopped death. We cannot defeat our greatest enemies, as we saw earlier. The other problem is human pride. Pride that we do all of these great things, not for the glory of God, but for ourselves. Since the fall, our hearts have been bent inward and rebellious towards God. We've said, God, we got this on our own. We're, we're good. We don't need you. Even the moral actions and the good that we do, if you look under the hood in our hearts, we'll see that it is selfish, that, that it is driven by our own desires and our own agenda. And this is why for all the accomplishment, for all the achievement, for all the appearance of performance, it ultimately fails and ultimately is rebellion against God and ultimately leads us into a place where we don't have hope. But to say that <laughs> is to face persecution. To say that is to get pushback. Look, whether it be religious people or irreligious people, if you come and say, look, you are sinful and your performance will not save you no matter how hard you try. The religious people will say, well, what are you talking about? I, I can do this. I, I go through these actions. Of course that can save me. The irreligious people will say, leave me alone and don't tell me I'm sinful. Either way, this message of the gospel, this message that says that we are helpless and we are enslaved and we are bound and our performance doesn't save us and we need a savior will lead to persecution and pushback. Paul's like, if I'm preaching performance, why am I being persecuted? That's the quickest way not to get persecuted is to preach performance. But to hold out the gospel means we're gonna have people push back. And when that happens, the temptation for us is to move away from the truth. Man, I'm being kind of harsh, aren't I? Or man, you know, people can actually do some good things. We're not that broken. We're not that helpless, are we? And so we 
step back from the truth rather than standing in the truth. And here's the problem. This is why Paul was so fired up. This is why he's saying the people who preach circumcision, he just wished they would finish the job. Is because he realizes that these half-truths enslave. They lead down a road where there is no hope and there is no freedom. Paul isn't being some stodgy, judgmental legalist. He's fighting for freedom. Like you, you, you see in, in a lot of historical circumstances and even in the movies where, where freedom is at stake, what ends up happening? You always have some of those people that are like, hey, it's not as bad as you think. Or we can make peace with this. And then you have the person leading the charge going, no, that's still slavery. It's not freedom. And that's what Paul is saying here. That to not stand in the truth, the full truth, that is the gospel and not our performance is to allow people to be enslaved. It is to enslave people with our teaching or allow our own selves to be enslaved. And we must be careful of this. We, we must be mindful of the ways that we can become comfortable. To, uh, to sort of illustrate this, let me, uh, I got another little illustration with a rope. I was just on a rope kick this week for some reason. So this is probably 10 pounds, maybe 12 pounds. And you know what? I can carry this around pretty easily. Um, and it's not, you know, not that difficult. But let's imagine I just, I, I didn't have a handcuff available, but let's say I handcuffed this to myself and I just said, I'm going to live with this brick handcuffed to my wrist. And I'm just going to walk around with this weight. Um, and, you know, again, moving around pretty, pretty well. But, you know, there's going to be probably times where if I swing around too fast, sorry, I'm not going to do it, I might hurt something hurt someone, might smash my knee with this. Um, I'm I'm eventually going to do a little bit of damage here. But what else is going to happen? You know, it doesn't feel heavy right now, but what's going to happen in an hour if I were to hold this? What would happen in a day? Exactly. My arm would hurt. My arm would want to fall off. This is how you and I can live when we don't stand in the truth. We'll grab hold of some, some aspect of performance, and it won't seem that bad. It won't seem that heavy. The bondage won't seem, like the chain around our, our wrists won't seem that terrible at first, but then eventually it's going to become heavy. And then we're going to end up doing damage to ourselves and damage to other people. Or here's what can happen. Hey, this ain't so bad. Let me add another brick. I can do it. And so we start adding weights and start making it heavier and heavier. And so we deceive ourselves into thinking that the little ways that we compromise, the little performance mentalities that we have here and there aren't a problem. But eventually they weigh us down. Eventually they become so burdensome that we find ourselves enslaved rather than walking in the freedom that God has for us. And so church, standing in the truth is so important. Let us not move on and move away from the truth that it is Jesus who sets us free, not our performance. That the spirit of God is at work in us and we don't have to take matters into our own hands. We can trust in his power. We have the hope of righteousness. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand therefore and do not submit to a yoke of slavery. Church, God's word calls us to freedom holds out the great promise of freedom. Let us walk in freedom by celebrating it, by standing in grace,
by standing in faith, by standing in truth, and then going and carrying that message of freedom to our world. Amen.